the way to chapter 3, verse 10. So I'm, it's, it's a little bit lengthy, so I'm just going to ask that you follow along with me. If, if you're at home, I, I believe that you can see um, the, uh, the scripture text on the screen um, in front of you. So um, do you guys hear something happening? I don't know what that is. Is it? Yeah, something, something funky. Yeah, that is strange. Yeah, now it's gone. Okay, there we go. Thank you. All right, so First John chapter 2, verses 28 um, through 3, verse 10. Let me read. It says this. And now, dear children, it's back. Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not been made known. But we know this, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, Do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. This is God's word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much, Lord, that you speak to us, that um, your will and purpose and who you are and what you're like is not left to us in a shrouded mystery. But God, we can know it clearly because you've spoken it to us. Help us to hear these words with obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we might want to try just muting everything but this mic. Oh, it is? Hmm. That thing? Well, I'm listening to Jamie. I don't know. It could be Jamie. Um, I don't think so, though, because I hear it over here. I don't think it's that. Yeah. I don't know. You see? You see what's going on? All right. Well, if it just comes in and out and we can hear it, I think we'll get used to it, right? We'll do our best. I get, The only thing is, I, you know, if it were me, we're small enough where we could just shut off all the sound and I could just talk to you and you guys would probably hear me, but then they wouldn't be able to hear us online. So we got to keep this going. So um, let's do our best. Maybe um, another mic. Try, try muting this one. See what that does. 
Hello? It could just be this is not a good mic anymore. You are a good mic. <laughs> All right. You like that? Okay. Hey, that worked. All right. So there's something wrong with that mic. Let's remember that. Let's tick that off in our brains. Okay. First John chapter 2. Where, were, where are we? What are we doing? Oh, yeah. Okay. First John chapter 2. You guys have all heard of Michelangelo's statue of David, right? You've at least heard of it. How many people have actually seen it? Like a picture of it, I mean. Like, yeah, so we, we've all seen it. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's amazing. Um, to this day, millions of people just kind of travel from all over the world and just stand in awe looking at Michelangelo's statue of David. Um, it's in Florence, Italy, and again, people travel from all over the world to, to take a look at what, what was crafted by this master. Imagine this, 500 years ago, he made this out of a single piece, a single slab of marble. Um, David, um, if, you, if you weren't aware of maybe some of the symbolism or what, what scene he's trying to depict in David's life, he stands ready with a sling over his shoulder, um, ready to fight Goliath. So it's before um, he is about to do business with Goliath. He's stripped of his armor. You remember that scene where Saul gives him his kingly armor, and David said, no, this is not mine, and he takes it off. So, so David, the statue of David stands ready, um, stripped completely naked, relying on the power of Yahweh alone, determined to defeat, defeat Goliath. Uh, to, to Michelangelo, by the way, it seems to me at least, that David was the real giant here, because if you didn't know this, this statue stands 17 feet tall. Um, Goliath was supposed to be about 9 feet tall, so you can do the math. According to Michelangelo, because the God of Israel was on his side, David was the giant. One writer describes how on earth does someone create such a work of art, such a masterpiece? One writer describes it like this. It is the sculptor's power of finding the perfect form and features of a goddess in the shapeless block of marble. And it's his ability to chip off all the extraneous matter. Oh, oh it's doing it again. Oh, well. I thought it would work. Let me explain it to you like this. Legend has it that Michelangelo was asked by the Pope how he was able to make such a beautiful statue of David, and this was his reply. It's simple. I just remove everything that isn't David. <laughs> I wish it were that easy, right? But he says it's simple. I take that big block of marble, and I just remove everything that's not David. I chip it off. That's what, what I meant earlier when I read that he finds the perfect form and features in that shapeless block of marble and he chips away all of that excess matter. I just remove everything that is not David. I want you to kind of hold that illustration in your mind because it is the task of God that he has set himself to to take us and strip everything away from us that is not Jesus Christ. The task that God has given himself, <clears throat> the task that God has given himself in saving his people 
is to form us into the perfect image of Jesus. And he saves us, and he begins to chip those parts of us off. Everything that is not Christ begins to get shed. That's the spiritual life. That's the Christian journey. We start our journey to heaven as a lifeless and formless rock attached to the world. But there stands our God, his chisel and hammer in his hand. And he first strikes our new heart, and it's formed. And we're given one that's stony and hard and unbelieving to a life, one with life, one that trusts him and one that believes him. But you know, it's, it's interesting because when we look into the spiritual mirror right now, we don't see a statue of David, spiritually speaking, do we? We don't see something beautiful. We don't see something like Christ. We're not all that impressed. We're not, <laughs> we, we appear, um, we're not so visually pleasing. We're just a slab of marble. But the reason we see ourselves like that is because we are not the artist, right? We only see what's there. The artist sees what will be there, right? Ephesians chapter 2.10, it says that we are God's work of art in Christ. You, by faith in Jesus Christ, are his masterpiece. You say, I only see like a big hunk of stone. Well, it's because he's not done with you yet. What he's forming you into will, when Christ appears, be the perfect resemblance of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. And that's the life to come. The master sculptor is forming in you something, friend, whether you see it or not, whether the progress seems slow or fast, he is, do, he is chiseling away at you. And in our text, I, I notice four things in particular that, that, that God is sort of chiseling at us to make us formed more into his image, which we'll get to in a moment. Now, John introduces this section with these words. Let me remind you. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Now, if you ever looked at the statue of David, if you're at least considering this from a kind of like a visual standpoint, that image of David has nothing to be ashamed of, right? Like, that's why we wear clothes, right? Because that is not who we are or what we look like underneath. You see, friends, how are we to be unashamed at the coming of Christ? Now, dear friends, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, this is said a lot in this section, born of him. To be born of him refers to what theologians call regeneration. And what that means is that God's spirit supernaturally gives people the ability, um, by faith in Christ, and new birth. So regeneration and new birth are basically the same thing. It's what Jesus referred to when he talked to Nicodemus and told him that the only people that will see the kingdom of God are those that have been born again. So again, born of him, born again is the same language. Friends, before Christ, let me try to explain to you what this means. Before Christ, we were dead in our sin, 
against God, which was against God. We were dead in our unbelief. So we needed to be born again. We needed, our blind eyes needed sight so that we could trust him for our salvation. So that might be compared to what we were prior to being born again. It might be compared to that enormous piece of marble before it had been extracted from the earth. Before it was taken out, it lived attached to everything around it in a quarry, attached to earth and stone. But some architects and artists had to know they wanted to create the statue of David, so they go to a quarry and they begin to blast out a large piece of stone, right? That's how they're going to get that large piece of marble so that they can fashion a statue like the statue of David. So it was, friends, when we were born again. We, according to scripture, we were citizens of the, this earth. Satan was our father. We were separated from God because of it. Yet God, in his grace and his love, blasted us out of the earth, dug us up at our new birth. And at when he does this, we stand bef before him at the beginning of our salvation by faith in Christ, ready to be formed by the master. And, and Jesus begins his work of daily transformation in our life chiseling out from us everything that is not Jesus. So that when he appears, we're ready. So that we might be righteous like him, clean, pure, like Jesus at his coming, unashamed when he returns. So friends, our readiness for his return, what are the things that, that God is chiseling the not Jesus stuff what is he forming us into? Well, let me, let me describe it like this. The first thing that we see is that God is forming us to have a new devotion. We see this in chapter 3, verse 1. Whatever, let, let me read um, verse 1 just to remind you. It says this. See what great love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that did not know him. Friends, whatever or whomever your father is or was before faith in Jesus Christ, he or it has been replaced. You have a new dad. In Christ, you have a new father. The first chunks of rock that the master sculptor is removing from you is every misguided and misplaced allegiance that you've ever had. You see, we all have various sorts of fathers in life. And what I mean by that is, is what we have an allegiance to, who we think we are, who we follow. <clears throat> the implication from chapter 3, verse 1, is that we were once not his children. See what great of love the Father has given, given to us, that we should be called the children of God. See, the implication is that at one point in our life, we had another father. We were not in his family prior to faith in Jesus Christ. Our fathers and our mothers were different. But now, because of his abounding grace and his wonderful love, we are his children. You see, friends, that's the start of the Christian life, to know that first, ultimately, you are a child of God the Father. 
And if you're a child of God the Father, that means, very simply, you listen to him first. That's why I say you have a new devotion. So we all have to ask ourselves a question, who do I listen to? Who's my dad? Who am I devoted to? Who has my heart, my allegiance? In Christ, we are pledged to a new family and have a new allegiance. You see, when, a lot of times when I get up in the morning, I think to myself, self, you know, you, you look marvelous. First of all, that's the first thing I think. Um, but then I think, what do I want to do today? Well, you know, I'd like to mow the lawn and I'd like to go out to dinner with my wife. I start making my plans. You guys all do the same thing, right? Yeah, I start making, you know, the things that I want to do. And I forget here that in Christ, I have a new devotion. I forget that it's not my will be done today, but God's. You see, shouldn't I begin my day rather with thinking about all the things that I selfishly want to accomplish, shouldn't I think, God, your will be done today? You have made me to love and follow you. Right? So if I'm going to be formed more and more into his image, i got to start chipping off all of my other selfish devotions and aligning my heart and my allegiance to my Heavenly Father. Pledged to a new family. Adopted by a father. Imagine this. A father that will always love you. Always protect you. Always provide for you. And he'll never change his mind about you. Now I know some of us have had experiences in life with maybe our biological dad that does not describe our dad at all. And some of us walk around with damage from that till this day. But can I assure you, by the grace of God in Christ, you have a heavenly father, a better dad, that when you devote your life to him, he will never disappoint you. He will never leave you or forsake you. His love for you will never diminish, even when you fail. He's steady. He's sure. So our first step in, in chipping off all the not-Jesus parts of us is to align ourselves in devotion to our Heavenly Father. See this great love the Father has lavished on you, friend, that he calls you his child. Little old you. And who are you exactly? Who am I? Before you start to boast about how wonderful you are, or I boast about how wonderful I am, let's listen to how the Bible describes us. Who did God exactly adopt into his family? We were spiritually dead and blind in Ephesians chapter 2. We were born in sin in Psalm chapter 51. We were God's enemies, children of Satan, wrongdoers, sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, thieves, greedy, slanderers. This is what you were, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. God is not adopting the best of the best, the cream of the crop. This is the sad description of us, all of us. And God looks on us with compassion and love and adopts us into his family. That's who he adopts and he cleans us, and he purifies us, and he makes us new. Oh, friends, to stand beside a holy and good and righteous, pure, clean God, like this, being this kind of, by him, 
for him to be called to call us my children is a miracle of grace, isn't it? It's a miracle of divine love. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6 continues. But you say, oh, that you just made my day really bad. You know, God, the Bible's got some hard words about me, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. But listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It continues. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what he does for us so that we have a new devotion. Our readiness, friends, for the coming of Jesus is found as he takes, as the master takes his chisel and plants it on every false and phony devotion that we have so that we are devoted completely and entirely to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? The life to come begins now in our new devotion, chiseling away all these not-Jesus parts in us. But secondly, a new identity, chapter 3, verse 2 through 3. This is amazing. I hope that you get this. Dear friends, now, underline now in your Bibles, dear friends, now we are children of God. By faith in Jesus Christ, right now, you are his child, and he is your father. Not one day you will be, or I hope you one day will be. No, you are. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. All all who have this hope in him purifies themselves just as he is pure. So the life to come begins now as God's children. Yet there's something about the future life when Christ appears that isn't known yet. The Bible promises that one day Christ will for, will for a second time return. And when he returns, the Bible says when we see him, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is. So the life to come begins now. There's a certain mystery surrounding that life to come because it says, doesn't it say, we, do, we don't yet fully understand what we will be, but when we, we'll be like him because we'll see him as he is, is what it says. So we don't know if we'll be able to fly through the universe, right? Like there are certain things that, you know, will, will we have, like, will, will we go swimming or ice skating? There are all, all sorts of questions that we just don't know exactly what, uh, what life in heaven and eternity is going to be exactly like. It's a mystery. John says what we will be has not been made known. But he does say this. The things that you need to know, the most important things about heaven, are revealed in Scripture. Not everything is, is revealed, but the things that you should know so that you will be waiting for his coming are given to us. So what is Jesus like now? It says you're going to see you're going to be like Jesus when you see him because you'll see him as he is. Okay. So what's Jesus like? That's good news because the Bible tells us some things about that. In Hebrews chapter 7, it says that Jesus is perfect in holiness. He always does the Father's will. The Bible says in Luke chapter 24 and John 11, I believe that the next screen will display this if you like taking notes. But he's perfect in holiness. You see up there, Hebrews chapter 7. He has a resurrected body that will never die. In Luke chapter 24, 
in John chapter 11. The body of Jesus was resurrected. So Jesus Christ has a physical body that was resurrected from the ground that will never die, that lives forever. In Luke 24, John chapter 11. He lives in the presence of God forever in Colossians 3.1. So he has access to the presence of the Father. That's who Jesus is. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2 that he will rule over this world. The Bible teaches that everything that we see in this universe will be rolled up like a scroll and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. And Jesus Christ will be master, king, and lord over the entire universe. Isn't that great? It won't be Trump, and it won't be Biden. So sorry for either one of you that want someone, one of those guys, or maybe neither one of them. But it will be the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, to rule over us in perfect righteousness. He'll never make a mistake. He'll always honor his Father's will. And he'll, over, he'll rule over this created world. Ephesians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2. It's all over the Old Testament. I don't have too much time, more, much more talk, time to talk about that. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 17, it says also that the Father glorifies the Son. He gives him glory. Friends, whatever else heaven might hold for us, knowing this is enough. It's all we need to know. It doesn't matter if we are going to eat brownies or lasagna. Right? Like, that stuff doesn't matter. Believers in Christ share the inheritance that belongs to Jesus. Now, this is where it becomes really fantastic. And please start listening if you haven't listened yet. Okay? Because this is amazing. I just described what Jesus is like, right? But listen to Romans chapter 8. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That means, you hear me say this sometimes, we get what he gets. I'm getting that from, from Romans chapter 8. Everything that Jesus is, we will be too. The only difference is that he deserved it and we didn't. <laughs> so we are objects of grace for all eternity, and he is the only one that earned his glory. You see? 2 Corinthians chapter, now we are heirs and then we, we uh, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, that we may share in his glory, that we may share in his glory. What? We share in his glory, little old you and little old me? When his children see him, they won't be ashamed, but transformed into his image, because in 2 Corinthians 3, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Chip, chip, clink, clink. He's making, God is making us into Christ. That's the Christian life. Which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And you say, okay, we get what he gets. Let me show it to you. Because now there are, uh, there's a slew of verses that talk about everything that we just described, Christ, will describe his people. And you'll see this next on the screen too. We inherit by grace what Jesus is, and we get what he gets. We likewise, in Jeremiah chapter 31, will be completely holy in thought and action. That's just one place of many in scripture, Jeremiah 31, that talks about, I will give them a new heart, and I will write my law onto their minds and onto their hearts. 
We will, be, we will be completely holy in thought and action. We will always do the Father's will. We will never sinfully rebel against him ever again. We will never defy him again. We will be completely holy in thought and action just like Jesus. We will inherit in John chapter 11 as well a resurrected body that will never die. Do you believe this? Those who live and believe in me will never die, Jesus said. Do you believe this? Talking to Mary and Martha, right? In Psalm chapter 16 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, we will be made to live in the presence of God forever, just like Christ. And by the way, Psalm chapter 8 and 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, we will rule with him over creation. So Christ rules over this new created world, and we rule with him. We all rule it together. Imagine. Now, now for me, this is the one that it just blows my mind the most. Because it says this all over the Bible. John chapter 17, verse 5. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The Father glorifies us. How is that possible? Aren't we supposed to give him glory? Isn't that our job to him? But in Scripture, we see this amazing work of the Father giving glory, lavishing us with the glory that he also gives to his Son, Jesus Christ. Do you see now why sin is such a big deal? Do you see why we trade, we trade our lives away for something just just isn't worth it? Oh, the hope that we have in Christ, what he's made us to be. We know this. We will be like him because we'll see him as he is. Children now like him most fully and completely then. And that's, friends, how we chip away now at all the not-Jesus stuff that, that's still a part of us by remembering who we really are by remembering our, our, our true identity in Christ. You're not simply the son or daughter of the Almedas or the Ferreras or the Securos or the Creamies or whatever it is your last name is. You're not ultimately good at the flute or an introvert or an extrovert, whatever describes you. And friend, by the way, you are not the sum total of all your mistakes. You are not an ex-con or an ex um, whatever, alcoholic. You are new. To God, you are his son. You are Christ. That's what he's forming you into. So Paul says in Ephesians, walk worthy of the call that you've been called. In other words, make it your daily aim to walk like what God is making you to be like. Right? You, at your new birth by re repentant faith in Jesus Christ, are completely new. So we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, being transformed into him, his image with ever-increasing glory. Day by day. This is what it means. Clink, clink, clink. God is making us to be more like Jesus. That is his aim in your life. Is it yours? Do you realize that's where he's leading you to? That the aim and purpose and function of our life is to be formed more and more and more into the image of our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, I hope that you will surrender 
to that this morning. If you have this hope, it says purify yourself as he is pure. That life to become, that life to come begins now in our new identity, chiseling off our old one. But also in our new heart. This is in verses four through seven. <clears throat> the life to come begins now in our new heart. Everyone who sins, this is where it gets kind of tough, right? Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. He appeared so that he might take away our sins. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has known him. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. You see, Scripture is saying here, is not saying here, that we, that we are made righteous with God by doing right things. It's, it is saying that when God declares us righteous, the fruit of that in our life is righteousness. In other words, he gives us a new heart. We don't earn our salvation, but when he saves us, we begin to desire him and love him and follow him. Does that make sense? So according to scripture, all humanity is born in sin. It says that, that, that no one that continues to sin knows him. But again, don't, don't take this to mean that God's children never fail or never sin. Because earlier John said, I write these things that so, so that you might not sin, but if you do or when you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So what John is saying now is that the fruit of the new birth is not that we never make mistakes again or never sin against God again. Rather, the fruit of the new birth is a new heart. We, con we continue, friends, um, we, we, we do not continue in willful disobedience when we have a new heart. Hebrew eight, Hebrews 8 describes this, when God, what God does for us in the new birth. He puts our, his law on our hearts and in our minds. So the person that is born again doesn't partner anymore with sin or Satan. God plants in us a new heart, a desire to love him, follow him, and obey him. But you say, well, we still sin, don't we? Well, that's because in life, before the appearing of Christ, we have a new heart, but what also remains in us is what Scripture calls the flesh. That part that is still fallen is still hostile to God. So Paul says in Galatians 5, I say, walk by the Spirit so that you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh so that they conflict with one, with one another. Here's what this means very simply, okay? When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, someone else moves in, Right? All, but the only person that you had living there before was you. And you lived for you. You did what you wanted to do. That was a sinful, fallen person. But when you get saved, someone else moves in. It's the Holy Spirit of God. He moves in. So that now, when fleshy guy wants to do what he wants, spirit guy says, no, you can't do that. Remember who you are. So there's a conflict, right? <clears throat> and the spirit, what is... Uh, they are in conflict with each other. There's a little conflict in you now. Prior to Christ, that conflict wasn't there. If there was any sort of like um, um, conscience uh, that you had when you failed, it wasn't because you sinned against God. It was probably just because you, you hurt someone else or something, you messed something up, something up in life. It wasn't a conflict with God, though. The child of God, being a child of God, doesn't mean that you never fail. It does mean that when you do, 
it grieves your heart in knowing that you've offended your God that loves you, so you're not comfortable anymore. Does that make sense? It conflicts with the new spirit in you in a way that, that previously it did not conflict. So my conclusion here, what I'm really trying to say here, is that when we walk according to the spirit, when we listen to the spirit, it chips away the not Jesus stuff, the flesh that remains. And we become more and more like Jesus. But finally, there's one last thing I'd like to talk about in our verses, in, in, our, in, our, um, in our text, verses 8 through 10. And that is a new victory. Oh, that war is hard, isn't it? You know, it feels like so often the flesh beats the spirit and we just want it to end. Well, listen to what it says. The one who does what is, sin- is sinful is of the devil. Now, this, tell me how you really feel, John, okay? The one who does what is sinful is of the devil. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them and they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. In other words, in Christ, even though there is a conflict between the flesh and the spirit, Jesus wins. Jesus wins. Oh, you know, you might on occasion lose a few battles to your flesh, but Jesus wins the war. And one day your flesh will be no more. It will be condemned and removed forever, and all that will remain and be left of you is Christ. That's the promise of God here. Those born again by grace through faith have God's seed. That's what it says. You have God's seed in you. God's spirit in you. And what we've been referring to as the new heart or the new birth. You know, in the Bible there are two families, and this is hard news. There are two families in Scripture. Those that are children of the devil and those that are children of God. One doomed to death and separation from God, called hell. These are children of Satan. And the other given a deposit of the Holy Spirit, taken out of that old ground removed from that satanic family and adopted into God's. And friends, all of us, every single one of us, because of our sin against God, we're in that old family. And by grace through faith, we can be extracted from that earth and put into a new family, adopted into God's. And he puts in you his seed. Friend, which family are you in? Who is your father? Is it the Lord? Oh, I hope it is. Have you trusted Christ to be your Lord and Savior through faith? And if you say yes to that question, does the fruit of faith produce in you a new devotion, a new identity, a new heart, a new victory, as God chiseling off the not Jesus stuff from you? Or, there is, or, or is there no conflict at all? Friends, if this describes you, Would you just remind yourself of the victorious promise given to you because of Christ? The Son of God appeared to destroy Satan's work, and he loses. You say, well, it doesn't look like that yet. Well, then again, it's because you see the block, and Jesus sees the end. You see the hunk of marble, and God, for for whatever his purpose, doesn't decide to just snap his fingers and that hunk of marble is suddenly the statue of David. God's purpose in time is to chisel and to create us and form us into image, his image. And when he is done, 
Satan is defeated once and for all, never to exist in our lives again. He's gone. The victor has won. The war for your new heart is won. And you are no longer a slave of sin. Jesus wins. And if you are in Christ, you'll win too. Isn't that great news? So 500 years ago, that master sculptor, Michelangelo, was given that enormous hunk of marble rock. And I imagine the master, Michelangelo, kind of looking back at this, you know, magnificent 20-foot piece of rock that got extracted from the earth, and his mind started working. Taking some time, just kind of looking at it. And a picture beginning to form in his mind of what that hunk of marble could be and what it could look like. And given time and faithfulness and his genius, that marble block could be something beautiful. So, you know, clink, 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 you start hearing the tapping of a hammer and a chisel. And over time, emerges the statue of David from a rubble of broken stone and dust and a pile of all this junk fallen to the ground. And there, all that's left standing is the magnificent statue of David. And I can, I can picture now another master, the master, the better master. Our Lord cutting out from this fallen earth lifeless stone and giving it life, setting us apart. And the master shepherd, given this enormous hunk of marble, spiritual marble, so to speak, by the Father, and saying, okay, Christ, begin your work, Spirit. And Jesus stands back at this enormous mass of what he would call his bride. And he sees what it could be, not what it was. And given time and faithfulness and the genius and love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ could be formed, what this could be formed into his fullness. So he begins his work. Clink, clink, clink. Here, a new devotion and a new identity. And clink, clink there, a new heart and a new victory. And when Christ returns, friends, emerging from a rubble of broken bits and dusts, sin, false devotions, false gods, having crumbled to the ground. Every part of us that wasn't like Jesus will be gone, and there will stand the glorious outcome of God's eternal salvation, his masterpiece, you and me, formed into his image. Isn't that great? Oh, I hope that you believe that this morning. And I hope that you will purify yourself just as he is pure. Let's pray. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for your word and what you're doing in our lives. I pray, God, if there's anyone here to, to, today that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, if they're, they're stuck in the ground still, and they, they know they need to come out, they need to be saved, that they sin against you, Friend, if that's you, just cry out to God. God, I'm a sinner. Save me. Jesus died for my sin to purify me and make me like you. I want you to be my first devotion. I want, I want to identify myself 
not with the world around me, but with who Christ is. I want to be grafted back into your family by your grace. Oh, friends, trust in Christ and ask him, and he'll give you the free gift of eternal life. He'll make you whiter than snow. And if that's you, would you pray with me? God, save me. I'm a sinner, and I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. I want to be with you forever at your right hand. I want to have your heart beating in me. If that's you, friend, today, just cry out to God. And would you share it with me or someone that you came with? Call us up. We would love to just celebrate with you what God is doing in your life. And God, for the rest of us, would you help us to see who we really are? That what we will be begins now. God, thank you so much, Lord, for all that you've done for us in Christ. It's his name we pray. These things. Amen.